Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is the Planting Wildflowers podcast and I'm your host Rebecca Leonardis. I have a new friend with me here today. Megan McLaren joins us from Alberta, Canada. We've got a bit of a time difference going on here and I got to give her all the credit in the world because it's quite early where she's joining me from. I'm always just so impressed by that. Let me give you a little bit of a rundown on who Megan is, and then we'll turn things over to her because I have this beautiful feeling that we've got a lot to learn from this lovely woman. First of all, she's a mother of twin girls. They're age two, and I'm definitely going to get into that with you, Megan, because I feel like they might have been born right at the height of world events, shall Mm -hmm. we call them. She's also a stepmom to teenage boys which bonds us right away because so too am I. She's a registered social worker, behavioral health consultant, a clinical educator, and life coach. Megan supports patients of any age in healthy goal setting, improving personal and professional relationships, and strengthening their coping skills by practicing self-care and strong boundaries. Oh my, does the world need you, my new friend, Megan? Welcome to the show. Oh oh my gosh. Thank you so much. What an introduction. (laughs) I so appreciate all the kind words and I'm so thrilled to be here. So thank you for your time today. Oh, it's our joy to have you. Now, can we, can we dive right into the tell me more about you kind of question, but specifically your girls being born two years old? So what was that like, or what has that been like? Yeah. You know, I always joke that they're, they're COVID babies. So their social skills are a little off, right? Like they still have the stranger danger because they're not around a lot of people. All those plans that I had for all the activities that we were going to do together um, got squashed. So there was no mommy and me groups or anything like that. And they were born in October. And then the world kind of shut down in February. Mm -hmm. So that really um, impacted my social circle. It impacted the community that I was so expecting to have around me while I entered into motherhood, also twin motherhood. And yeah, so it was a, it was a struggle for me. And I, I talk a lot about that in some of my podcasts that I do, or even when I'm just connecting with, with my clients, because my mental health was certainly affected by that. Mm. Naturally, I can't even imagine that. I recall when my daughter, who's 10 years old now, that was the key element to that transition in life was to have that community around you, Mm -hmm. um, which has led me to where I am right now. I I don't know that I would have plugged into all of the natural health resources that I do in in my current career had I not had that experience. So I really... I feel for you and it really piques my curiosity and admiration because you've really been put into this role of motherhood at such a unique time. I can't help but think that there is a purpose behind all of that. You know, I always, Mm -hmm. I always go in that direction, but um, let's, let's talk then about self-care. What, what, how do you personally define that? And and what do you do to nurture that for yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, self-care has been such a journey for me because when I entered into motherhood, I was doing none of it. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. And the expectations that I placed upon myself to be like this rock star mother and twin mother, you know, I felt this double pressure on me really took over. And I got myself into a really bad situation where I was struggling with postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety because I wasn't even honest to goodness, like taking the time to use the restroom. Like I was just so invested in making sure my girls were okay. And I had to dig myself out of that slowly because for someone who was dealing with anxiety, self-care felt really uncomfortable at first because that meant I was going to have to take time away from my girls to pour into myself. But over time, I started to see the benefits of it. You know, my anxiety was lessening and my mood was improving. So I started to buy in a bit more. And now I would, you know, consider myself a bit of a self-care guru in that it is at the forefront of my my daily schedule, my weekly schedule. I'm, you know, interjecting self-care all throughout my day based on how I'm feeling. I check in with myself all day long and I kind of rate either my mood or my anxiety. Like, okay, Megan, you know, one to 10, 10 being, I'm going to break down. Where are you at right now? And typically if I'm above a five, I kind of press pause on, on whatever I'm doing and and go and do something for myself. And it can be really small, like just maybe removing myself to take some deep breaths and, and regulate myself because I'm someone that um, is very affected by stimuli. So like light and noise and things like that, which is kind of constant when you have four children. <laughs> um, or it can be, you know, getting outside for a walk. Walking is incredibly regulating for me. I love to exercise, but usually I'm kind of checking in with myself. Have I done the basics today? Like, have I eaten today? Have I done personal hygiene today? Because those were my starting points when I started to take care of myself again, was like just the basics. Like, I need to shower today. I need to eat today and change my clothes. Oh, this this feels so powerful for me to hear you speak these words. I First of all, I'm really taken by the idea that you have this or you implemented this awareness check. Mm-hmm. with yourself. Mm-hmm. I, this is a tool that if you don't know, you, you don't know, mm-hmm. like you don't know to check in with yourself. And this is, I think how many people snowball into these, um, sometimes catastrophic situations for themselves. Mm-hmm. How did you, I mean, obviously your, your education and your experiences up to this point allow for you to implement something like this. And I, I love that you did this for yourself. I can't from a mom to another mom, a woman to another woman, mm-hmm. even human to human. I'm, I'm so glad. And so um, pl- just pleased to know that you did this for yourself. It, those basics. Mm-hmm. I know someone right now is probably listening. Um, I have a friend on my mind, even as you speak. And I know that this is exactly the message that needs to be heard. The, yeah. the foundational pieces are the only ones that you can build upon. So the right. fact that you initiated that right away. So how do you, when you're working with your clients, how do you get people to come to this realization and how do you baby step them into this for themselves? Because everyone's situation is so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And so you know, when I started with myself, I'll answer it like in two parts. When I started with myself, that came about because 
I had to look, like take a really hard look at some really like kind of ugly parts of me that were coming out through my postpartum journey. So I also had a symptom called postpartum rage, which if you can tell from my demeanor right now, I'm like a pretty cool, calm, collected person. So this was like, I don't, I didn't recognize myself. Like I, I didn't understand what was going on with me. I didn't like that person. I didn't understand where she was coming from. And I was, yes, you know, snapping all the time. And so I had to start figuring out with myself and literally tracking, you know, what was kind of making me, um, like snap for lack of a better term, what was leading up before the snap and how could I start implementing strategies, you know, prior to getting to a place where I couldn't handle it anymore. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, I don't know. I don't know. It feels like I'm going from zero to 60 and there is nothing leading up to that, but that wasn't true. I just had to really become um, self-aware and a social worker by training. Of course I thought, well, I'm already (laughs) self-aware. Like, of course I am, but, but I was missing something. And so sometimes it came about the next day or after the moment where I, you know, hadn't been having a good day that I was able to reflect back and be like, oh, okay, actually, before I became completely overwhelmed, I was sweating, you know, my chest was tight, I was feeling on edge, I was clenching my teeth, like there were so many signs that my body was telling me like, hey, you're not doing well, right? Like all those stress hormones are firing where I probably should have taken a step back at that point in time. But I was so focused on my kids that I was ignoring all of those signs and just pushing through and pushing through and pushing through because unfortunately, I feel like society right now really kind of celebrates that like hustle culture and celebrating when you're really tired and kind of thought to myself, like, well, isn't this just motherhood? Like, of course I'm supposed to be exhausted. And so taking those same principles to my clients, you know, I have them do tracking sheets. And so when we have our follow-up appointments, I ask them, you know, lay out the whole week for me. And even if all you can write down is that Wednesday was a good day and Thursday was a bad day, well, then let's talk about what led up to the bad day, or let's talk about how you felt in your body on that day so that we can try and pinpoint, you know, where we need to work on things so that you can start paying attention to those cues in your body, because that's the signal that nobody seems to be paying attention to, or at least I wasn't. So now it's like a light bulb. Every time I get that signal in my body, Mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah, I need to stop because I don't want to repeat that cycle of shame that I felt every time I was yelling and sometimes slamming things, you know, because I was so overwhelmed and because my brain was just in constant fight or flight. So because I've, I've really made an agreement with myself that I'm going to stop no matter what that looks like. I don't care if I need to shut off the stove and I'm in the middle of cooking dinner, I will take the time to address, you know, how I'm feeling. This is magic. That piece of advice is, it really is, it's magic. I am a big advocate for the mind-body connection. There is, nothing could convince me because it's, it's, you cannot separate the mind and the body. What one is experiencing, the other will as well. So your emotional well-being is hinged on your ability to reflect upon what is happening in your your human vessel, your, your body. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I love that when you're working with your clients, you're helping people to identify with that because that's something that we can all, it's tangible, like you feel it. So you can't ignore it because if you do, your body will just, it'll go to the next level. Another symptom will present itself because it refuses to be ignored. You you cannot ignore this and the body will just find all these interesting ways to present the issue so that you will listen and take action. So this, I, I'm going to say it again, it's, it's absolute magic that you draw that um, connection for people. Is, is this something that is easily done by clients in the beginning? Is this the baby step that leads them to that realization of what's happening on a grander scale? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's something that's easy for any anybody that I've worked with um, because a lot of people like genuinely don't know. And when I ask them the question and they say they don't know, I really try to empathize with them and say like, hey, that is okay. You know, you're not the first person to say you don't know, but let's kind of dive into how we can figure this out for you because it's it's really the key in being able to manage your mental health appropriately. Um, and at first, I find that people are like leery because they are coming from a medical model where sometimes it's not talked about, like the mind-body connection, right? And they're like, okay, so you're telling me that if I'm stressed, my body's going to know it before my, my brain does? Or how are you explaining that to me, right? They don't really understand it all. But when we start to work on the tracking sheet and I start to pull out some of those questions through my motivational interviewing skills, they start to connect the dots and they start to kind of identify those behaviors in themselves that maybe they do have some shame or guilt around, right? Especially when we're talking about anger or things like that. Um, And especially when I talk to them about like, hey, the, the antidote for this is taking care of yourself. The antidote for this is actually going for a massage or, you know, going out by yourself and doing things that you enjoy. They're like, oh, really? Because that just seems wild to them. And some people even joke with me like, oh, really? I'm going to go for a massage. And it's like, well, it's not one massage. Like, let's clarify that. This has to be a continual everyday practice for you to actually Um, appropriately manage your mental health, especially if you're thinking about the fact that, you know, your cup is like empty. Well, one drop of water in your cup is not going to fill it back up, right? This has to be a continual practice of the way that you manage your life. It's a complete lifestyle change. Mm. Yeah. I love that visual, that one drop in the, in the cup, Mm -hmm. that's not going to shift things for you. You, you essentially I have a friend who always says that you you if your cup is full, you can start pouring into others when you begin to overflow. Right. So I I love that. Now you you talk about these signals in the body. And P.S. I love I love this advice that you're giving to your clients. It's so interesting to me in today's world how the things that you're suggesting are things that we're drawn to because intuitively we know that they're right for us and yet we resist them because at a societal level, we've been taught that those things are all very selfish. The moment you put yourself at the top Mm -hmm. of your own priority list, you are some kind of selfish, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And especially when you step into the role of motherhood because aren't they supposed to take the front seat for everything? Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's, um, I love, I love, love, love. And I'm sure that there's, I think that that the laughing or the joking is like that innocent response, that resistance to, Ooh, this feels a little uncomfortable. I can't even imagine setting aside time for myself, let alone going for a massage or something so indulgent. And yet Mm -hmm. the moment they even start to consider it, it feels good. Mm-hmm. Like the moment it's, it's a realization like, yeah, that would actually feel so good in my body. It's already started to trigger a positive response in their yeah. mind. They can yeah. imagine. The yeah. yeah. And you know, it took me a year to get to that place. So I spent a year like tr- truly suffering, truly suffering and being so uncomfortable with all these kind of foreign emotions that were coming up and not recognizing myself because I had this mantra in my head that in order for me to be a good mom, everything that involved me had to take a backseat, right? And how dare I eat or how dare I shower without making sure my kids were okay. But what a lot of my clients or mothers that I talk to don't really kind of connect is that it doesn't have to be one or the other, right? And so me taking a shower doesn't mean that my children are not clean or I haven't also dealt with them because when I reflect back, I did have moments where they were totally fine and I could have stepped away to take that shower, but that also probably would have meant that I had to communicate to my husband, Hey, I'm going to go take a shower. Can you just, you know, keep an eye on the girls for a minute? And that was another big piece for me where I could not ask for help. Because for me, asking for help meant that something was lacking within me. Why couldn't I handle everything? When, of course, my husband was like more than willing to do anything to help me, right? Like he was just shocked at the way that I was kind of responding to this new journey. Um, And I didn't see that coming because I literally communicate with people for a living. (laughs) And I talk about boundaries for a living. But all of a sudden... I couldn't ask for what I needed anymore. So that's another big piece that I work on with my clients is how to like effectively communicate your needs and working through the emotions that come up around that, whether it's guilt or shame or not feeling good enough or not feeling worthy of taking that time for yourself. That's really powerful. I, yeah, I'm, I'm really quite blown away by that. You being someone in your role, in your professional life, having all of the tools and, and, and likely witnessing this in other people extensively to then experience it yourself had to be very profound. And I really appreciate the fact that you are willing to be so vulnerable with your own story, because that really helps other women to see that we, we're all affected by our situation. It doesn't matter how many tools you have in your toolkit. There are underlying uh, variables. Our lives are all different. So underlying variables that impact the way we react to certain situations. I just mm-hmm. I really admire that. And yeah, I, I thank you for that. It feels it, it lands right where it's, it's meant to again, woman to woman or mom to mom, however people want to receive this message. It's, it's a very powerful one. Thank you. I want to 
Can I circle back to the body signaling? I think this Mm. is an interesting piece for people to better understand. So you gave us an example of you sweating and you talked about those moments of of rage that you, um, that you had to process, but can you give us some other examples of what people might be able to notice within themselves Mm. to take some practical action? Yeah, absolutely. So they might feel, you know, shaky, nervous, clenched muscles. Um, they might feel confusion. They might have a ringing in their ears and that's because all those symptoms that they're experiencing are a byproduct of the fight or flight response in the brain. And we are all designed to have that response and it's actually meant to be protective. So when people come to me and they have anxiety and they feel like something is wrong with them, I'm always giving them education on on how the brain works so that they know that actually your brain's doing exactly what it should be doing. It's, It's interpreting a threat and that's why it is alerting you to that threat, you know, by signaling your body that something is wrong. Um, sometimes that threat is a very real thing. Like if people are coming because they've maybe been in a motor vehicle accident or something really traumatic for them, or maybe it's a, a threat that's coming about because the messaging in their mind is telling them that this thing is a threat, but it's not actually going to physically harm them. And so when we're able to notice the signal in our body, like even right now, I feel a little bit nervous because this is new and I'm talking about this experience again. I'm already telling myself, like, I am safe. This is not a threat. And I can feel my heart rate coming down. I can feel my breathing regulate because I have to be able to tell my brain that this is not a threat in order for it to stop firing those stress hormones. This is good. Now, tell me what you would you would also do. So you, you've got this recognition happening. So your body signals, you recognize it. What are some of the specific things that you do to support yourself. You man, you, you mentioned um, journaling it, writing it down and capturing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that does a lot for helping you digest it. But are there other things that you, you do? I I'm thinking um, I'm big into meditation. I teach meditation. Yeah. Um, is that, are these some of the strategies that you employ or have your clients? Absolutely. Take advantage of? Yeah, absolutely. So meditation is a, is a great strategy. The easiest strategy that I teach to people that they can do anywhere, right? At work, in the car, anywhere is is deep breathing because deep breathing is going to help to fill the lungs back up again, bring your heart rate back down and send that signal back to the brain that you're okay. Because when our heart rate is up, it's because we are preparing to run away or fight off the danger, right? That's why that's happening. So when people have catastrophic thinking and are like, well, my heart rate is up. If my chest is tight, I must be having a heart attack. It's like, no, it's because your your body's preparing to fight off this threat that it's interpreting. So yeah, I talk about deep breathing a lot. I talk about meditation if people are, are open to that. Lots of times if they're new to meditation, I'll offer guided meditation because it's easy to listen to something and be you know directed talk about exercise a lot because I explained to people that stress hormones actually don't go away on their own. So when you have high amounts of cortisol and adrenaline in your body, it has to go somewhere. And if it doesn't go somewhere, it's going to be really disruptive to your overall functioning. So your appetite is going to be affected. Your sleep is going to be affected. Your mood is going to be affected, your concentration. Um, And so depending on what people are open to or what strategies are already incorporating into them. I try to build it off of 
of what they feel most comfortable with because everything I do is really client-centered, right? So I offer information or kind of like a menu of options, I call it, and they get to pick, you know, which one sounds good to them. Mm, Amazing. Amazing. Now I have a, this is kind of a personal question, but I have often had discussions with people and I've never, I, I don't know why I haven't made the time to actually research this to find out whether or not it's true, but in speaking about that body signaling and the emotions triggering that are, that are associated with it. Is it true that being excited, like in a positive way, so you're excited because I don't know, I don't know. I can't think you can insert any situation. Can it be, or, or does it reside or grow from the same place as nervousness does? Because your body doesn't know how to decipher the difference between that elevated, um, stimuli, I suppose, like you're, you're excited about something, but your body kind of reacts the same way that it does when you're nervous. Can we talk about that? Yeah. And so those hormones come from the same place in the brain. So usually when people feel excited, they've got a huge boost of adrenaline happening, right? Like if you're going to go zip lining, you have a bit of fear, but excitement. And that's because, you know, that stimulus is coming through the eyes. So you're like looking out at maybe a big drop before you go zip blinding, but you're excited. You want to do it. So you're, there's adrenaline just coursing through your system. And so, you know, anxiety can be a good thing in the sense that lots of times it, it motivates us. You know, we have a test coming up and we're nervous about it. That feeling that comes over us can get us motivated to go and study or go and prepare where it becomes a not so great thing is when it actually starts to impair our functioning, right? We're so anxious about the test that we don't even go we can't even get ourselves out of the house mm-hmm. or we're so anxious about driving somewhere new that we just don't, we don't leave our house or we're not making those connections anymore. And so I try to explain to people that I don't really like to label emotions as good or bad. Like emotions are emotions they are going to come and go. And once the emotion comes, I just ask them to label it. Meaning if I'm you know feeling sad right now, I just kind of label it as you know, I'm feeling sad today, but what do I want to do with that? You know, do I want it to to stall my day and kind of debilitate me from moving forward? No, I don't. And so how am I going to give myself space to like actually process it or or just acknowledge it? And then how am I going to move forward? Meaning what am I going to do for myself today? Yeah, that's so good. I love that because that I love, first of all, that you recommend labeling the emotion. I think that's such a healthy thing to do because it it strengthens that awareness, right? Maybe we don't even realize that we've just walked through our whole day in a state of sadness and we don't know why our actions have been a a reflection of that state of mind. I I think Mm. that that's terrific. And I love that you point out that a quote unquote negative emotion or the ones that we have typically associated with being negative because they cause us to feel a little bit, you know, uncomfortable mm-hmm. but there is there's a layer of positivity under that because it serves as a motivation like do I want to stay in this space or will it motivate me to create change and you use the word space how it it prompts you to put space around how you're currently feeling and how you want to feel I love that I think anytime you can give yourself space to consider what's going on it's such a positive move and mm-hmm. and will will definitely I, I feel like I can I can almost guarantee this it it 
puts you in a better state. Mm-hmm. I don't know to what degree, but it moves you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we are constantly just pushing past everything we're feeling, we are more likely to have those feelings build up and bubble over into something that's not so helpful, right? Like rage is, is the one that I use a lot because it's just, uh, is what I talk about from my own experience. But even rage is not something that I would label as a negative emotion because it can have a really useful purpose. You know, if someone's breaking into your house and you get rage, well, that's going to be really helpful. Right. Where it wasn't helpful for me is that it was directly impacting my relationship with my children and with my husband. And so that's why I had to address it because I wasn't using it appropriately. It wasn't appropriate for the situation. Got it. Can we talk a little bit about how um, the past couple of years, the pandemic years, and just call them what they are, mm-hmm. how has how how have these past couple of years presented themselves in your practice? What are you seeing more of, and what are you typically suggesting as a result of of what you're seeing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've been busier than ever because unfortunately a lot of people are suffering. And so the number one thing I think I see a lot is isolation. People just feel so disconnected and people who are sitting in front of me are people that would actually label themselves as an introvert. So they're surprised as to why they're feeling this sense of loneliness and why their mood has been impacted. But connection is a is a core value for everybody. And I argue that all the time. Even if you're a, an introvert by nature, you still need a form of connection. And that is really difficult right now. It's difficult because of you know things being shut down and not being able to access the same things that maybe we used to. For some of my clients that I see, they used to go to the gym or go to rec centers or engage in um, parenting groups or things like that. And that looks so different now. And so we have to get really creative and I'm supporting clients in getting out of their comfort zone a little bit, especially when we're looking at the online world. A lot of my clients are not, you know, really enthused by the idea of joining a Zoom group or doing an exercise online because they they don't want to have to change or adapt. And I totally get that and empathize with that because that was a barrier for me as well. When I was going through my journey, it was like, I didn't want to change. I didn't want to let go of the idea that I had for my maternity leave. I had an idea already planned out (laughs) before I gave birth. And so you change is hard. It's hard to learn to pivot, but the more you do it, the more you become resilient and the more that it gets a little bit easier for you. And so things like meditation or, you know, going for a walk as opposed to going to the gym or learning to work out at home or taking up a new hobby or, you know, doing cooking, things like that. Like we've had to get really, really creative in in terms of how people practice self-care. And when we talk about connection or when I talk about connection with my clients, I like make them tell me, so what day are you going to work on connection and how are you going to do that? Because I need to hold them accountable. And when we say it out loud, we're more likely to do it. So they're literally writing down for me, okay, Megan, on Wednesday, you know, at five o'clock, I'm going to call my my friend and I'm going to reach out to her so that I'm intentional about the way I'm establishing connection in my life. And that intentional piece is something that my clients probably get sick of hearing from me because I use the word intentional 
every day, a hundred times a day, because that's what, that's what mental health is or having, you know, a handle on your mental health, whatever you want to want to call it. It's intentional work, something that should be planned. It shouldn't just be something that you notice when you're not doing well. And then you insert the strategy because I don't want you to get to the point where you're not doing well. And then you go and do something for yourself. Like let's be preventative here instead of reactive. I love that approach. I especially love this piece of advice about being intentional about connection. Mm-hmm. I I hope everyone takes this away with them today and maybe carves out, intentionally carves out some time to connect with someone in their life. Mm-hmm. I've noticed, uh, I can only speak from my personal experience, but I have noticed that I have become... Uh, I I feel more introverted now. I feel like I've grown accustomed to this world of operating completely at home. I work from home. I connect with people online. It's become very easy. It's become the norm. Mm -hmm. But mentally, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, that's not normal. It's not normal to not be in the presence of people because energetically, the moment you're in a group of people, you feel different. You Mm -hmm. you pick up on the energy in that space. And I think we've forgotten that. So, or at least I have, again, Mm -hmm. using myself as the personal example. So this advice or this recommendation or suggestion to intentionally create connection, booking it in. Mm -hmm. There's a saying one of my business partners always uses it. It's, It's something to do with if it gets scheduled, it gets done. And that sounds, it sounds very mechanical. Like, Oh, I'm not going to schedule calling my friend or calling my mom. Well, why not? Yeah. Why not? Because then it will get done. It won't be the thing that falls off the plate when life gets too busy because that always happens. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is an excellent takeaway from today's conversation amongst many is to schedule connection. And did you say two? like schedule two intentional um, forms of connection, or do you do you even recommend the number? I don't typically recommend the number. I usually ask them to pick the number, and then based on that number, like if someone's like, "I'm going to do it every day," <laughs> I'll say, "Okay, so awesome." <laughs> but I want you to tell me again. I like to use scaling questions. Scale of one to ten. Ten is the most confident you've ever felt. How confident do you feel that you can do it every day? And if they're like, "Oh yeah," I'm like a three. I'm like, "Okay, well, let's maybe drop the goal a little bit." Because I, what I don't want to happen is for them to then have some feelings of, of guilt or inadequacy because they didn't meet their goal. And so setting really realistic, smart goals is what I always do with my clients. So even if that means once a week or once every two weeks, perfect. Still better than nothing. Yeah. But I want them to feel awesome about reaching the goal and awesome about accomplishing it, right? So I don't, I don't want to set unrealistic goals with them. That creates such a strong belief system because if you reach that goal, yeah. it flows into the next goal. And totally. it yeah, yeah, I love that. I hope I hope everyone listening does that today because the world definitely needs more connection. And how how wonderful on the receiving end to receive a call from a friend you haven't heard from in a little while. Like imagine mm. it shifts you, the person reaching out, but the person getting the call or the connection is is also going to experience an elevated state of being. So totally. it, it just has a huge ripple effect. It's like twofold, right? Cause it feels good for you, but it's also 
um, maybe a bit of like a good deed because the other person feels good about it yeah. anyways. And I talk about uh, good deeds a lot with my clients because it is shown from research to have a positive impact on your mood. I was just driving yesterday and I was, yeah, a little bit in a funk. I'd had like kind of a stressful morning and I was just ruminating while I was driving. It was just like, I was just like pissed, right? I'm driving and I'm turning left at a light. And I saw these construction workers on the side. And there's a Tim Hortons right there where I was driving into. So I just was like, you know what? I'm going to go and buy them some donuts and just give them to them. I didn't even know if they would accept them because it's COVID, right? But whatever. Yeah. I, I bought them. I bought them a pack of donuts and I rolled up beside them. and was like, hey, guys happy Wednesday. Here's some donuts. And they were just shocked. And of course I felt like a rock star. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was self-serving for sure, but it was also nice for them. And I totally yes. felt better after it was like, I had to do something to pull myself out of that. Because if you're just waiting for a moment to come where your day is going to turn around, it's kind of unlikely to happen. Like you're really in control as, as to how you choose to manage your mood. Megan. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> that's so good. You are in control. We you we are. don't often, we don't realize that often enough that we have the power to, to direct the day. What a beautiful example of a good deed too. So unexpected mm-hmm. and completely shifted your day, uh, reminded those guys that good people exist in the world. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love it. Tell me, tell me, um, with respect to self-care, taking good care of yourself, the good deeds piece, all of these things, all of these pieces of wisdom that you impart on your clients, how do you make this happen in your own home? I'm a big believer that it, it starts at home and you're the mom of teenage boys, both <laughs> yeah. boys, right? Yeah. I got teenage boys too. I'm a stepmom to two teenage boys. Yeah. So I'm feeling you. Um, <laughs> And your, your twin girls, how do you, or have you started this process at home? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So they, they see me, um, you know, going to yoga. They see me saying no to things that I don't want to (laughs) do. They see me setting boundaries with them, which, you know, are not always well received, especially when you're a teenager and you want what you want when you want it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I even set boundaries with, with my girls. And they're two. And so a lot of people would say, well, they probably don't even know what you're doing. I don't think that's the case because while their verbal skills may not be the same as mine, their understanding is there. And so I set boundaries with them around, no, I can't pick you up right now because mommy needs to finish what I'm doing. But when mommy's done, I'm going to pick you up or, you know, mommy's in the middle of this and then we can play. And it's just repetition of setting that boundary for them and then validating how they're feeling because where people get caught up is they expect people to clap for them when they set a boundary. And I tell my clients all day long, don't expect someone to clap for you when you say no, because typically that no is going to be an inconvenience to them, right? Mm -hmm. So who's going to clap for that? Not many people. And you can validate them though. So for my stepsons, you know, if I say, well, nobody, I actually um, can't drive you to hockey tonight because I'm going to go to yoga can you reach out to your team and see if you can carpool with somebody? Like they're kind of pissed. They're like, Oh my gosh, like what? I don't want to have to do that. Yeah. And then I say to them, it's totally okay for you to feel frustrated that you have to carpool with somebody. I know you don't really like to do that. However, I'm still going to go to yoga 
And if you need to talk about that with me, because maybe you're feeling disappointed or like I'm not supporting you, I'm totally open to that conversation, but I'm still going to go to yoga. Oh boy. Am I glad I asked you that question? That's brilliant. That's brilliant and hard, I imagine, for people to begin to do. I know many listeners right now are like, oh, I could never. But yes, you can. Yes, you can. Try it one time. I still still don't feel good about it all the time. So I don't want people to think that I'm sitting here saying like, oh, I do it and it's 10 out of 10 easy. Yeah. I still have moments where I'm like, "Uh, should I just not go to yoga? But then I like flash back (laughs) to all the work that I've done over the last two years and I'm like, no, 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 not going back there. Like I'm not going back to that place where I put myself on the back burner because I know exactly how that's going to turn out. Definitely. Ooh, I've taken away so much personally from you today. Oh, I'm really so glad. <laughs> love this conversation so much. I wonder what's next for you. Can we can we tell our listeners what you've got going on? I know you um you have a free offer. You do 30 minute life coaching consults, right? Do you want to share a little bit about that and anything else you've got going on? Yeah. So I love connecting with people to just kind of describe to them how coaching is different from counseling. I think a lot of people maybe are a bit confused on how I can support them. And so coaching is really walking along somebody in their in their journey, right? Like I'm not there to be directive. I'm not there to tell them what to do. I'm there to kind of pull out of them what happiness looks like for them or what balance looks like for them and how we can get them moving on working towards that. So a lot of people come to me and they just feel stuck. Like they're maybe not depressed, but they're not exactly happy either. And so defining for them what happiness looks like is not something I want to do. I want them to define it. So I obviously use my skills to pull those questions out of them. So I'm so like just happy in myself to have those conversations with people because I do love connecting. So doing a free consult with somebody is awesome. And if they don't book with me, that's fine because I would guarantee you will take something out of our conversation together. Um, And as for what's next for me, like, oh my gosh, I feel like I have so many plates spinning (laughs) in the air right now. Um, my coaching business came up, came about from a friend who was like, you know, you should do this. You should do this. And I was like, I don't really have the time, which is true. I, I don't really have the time. I make the time to do it because it fills me up and it's different from what I do in my, you know, nine to five with what you want to call it, because mm-hmm. as a behavioral health consultant, I work in a medical model. So I'm a consultant to physicians. And then I give my recommendations to them. Whereas this is different, right? You know, I get to I get to use a holistic lens and, and offer support in a different way that's really aligned with my values, which is why I really enjoy doing it. Very refreshing. Now, if someone wanted to take advantage of that, how would they go about finding you? Where are all the places you like to play and all the connections? <laughs> Yeah, I'm on a couple of different platforms. I do have a website that they can book the, the free consult through. And then, you know, they can find me on Instagram. I have a Facebook page. Sometimes you'll see me on TikTok having fun there. Ooh, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like to, you know, use some humor to talk about some of my experiences. And um, I also push myself to be vulnerable because well, being vulnerable is not something that comes naturally to me. And so even doing these calls are a way for me to push my own boundaries and release some of the shame that I feel around my own story because it's going to be continual work. I don't really see it coming to an end place. Um, And so that's why I so appreciate your time because this is healing for me too. 
Oh, well, I'm so glad it's, it's been such a joy to have you here and I'll make sure that I put all of those um, connection points in the show notes. So if you're listening and you want to make a connection with Megan, I highly recommend it. Megan today for me has been, it's, I, I don't even know the words to put to it. Like you're very practical and very deep and very feeling and I love that your vulnerability is like it, it, it almost, it creates this instant tenderness about you and this um, beautiful connection point. I, I, I know everyone listening today is, wow, I can feel oh, myself in her. Thank you. So I appreciate your time so much today. I, I hope we stay connected to one another because I know I have a lot to learn from you. Oh, Having absolutely. you on the show has been beautiful. Thank you very, very much for joining us here today. Oh, the pleasure was mine. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And to our listeners, thank you guys so much as always for hanging out with us. I look forward to the next time that we're together. And until then, take really great care of yourself. Mm-hmm.